Hello, my field daisies. Welcome to the 12th episode of Daisy Shays, the podcast. Today's life lesson is also about procrastination. So last week, I was able to post on time because I thought Tuesday was Wednesday and that and then I was scrambling to finish my podcast and I realized, oh, I still have another day. This week, I started recording on Wednesday and had serious problems with my iMac. It, it just stopped working to the point where I had to press the power button to turn it off because it was frozen. And so, yeah, that's why this podcast is coming up really late on Thursday. And so I think I just have to start recording my podcast this weekend to make sure that it goes out next Wednesday because next week is 4th of July and I'm definitely not going to be working on this on Thursday. So that being said, I mean, always, you know, don't be so hard on yourself because who, how was I to know that my iMac would completely stop working? Anyway, today's topic is nothing really related to that, I suppose, other than the fact that it was a tragedy that my iMac didn't work. And it is sort of a tragedy that sellers are having to deal with counterfeit items on Amazon and that they and Amazon is kind of not doing anything about it for real. And so yeah, (laughs) terrible transition, but that's what we got today. Um, Let's, you know, get into the intro song and then we will get onto the podcast. So without further ado, let's roll the intro music. Thank you again, Yara and Gibson for that wonderful intro song and hello, my field daisies. Today's topic is mainly going to be about Amazon. So as many of you know, Amazon is an e-commerce platform that you can buy literally anything on. They also have a uh, Prime membership, an Amazon Prime membership, which not only gives you free two-day shipping on Amazon.com, it also gives you access to their streaming service. So they have a streaming service that is similar to Netflix and Hulu, where they create their own Amazon Prime content, but also they license TV and films that can be accessed through their streaming service. Not only that, but they also have a smart home device called Amazon Echo. They have a TV streaming device called Amazon Fire Stick TV. They also have audiobooks. They are one of the leading audiobook providers, and it is called Audible. Um, it is, it's crazy how many ventures they have their hands in. Not only all of the things that I mentioned, but they also have cloud computing platforms for businesses and individuals and governments, etc. So that this this Amazon Web Services is what it's called, and it's basically uh, data centers that uh, individuals or businesses can rent out to store their data in the cloud, and it's a basically a cloud management platform. And it is very interesting because the mo- majority of their revenue and profit comes from AWS, Amazon's web services. And just by researching everything about Amazon for this podcast, it is crazy how much money they are actually losing in their retail sales, even though Amazon.com and their e-commerce platform is what they're mainly known for by the general public. 
And so for the past year in 2018, Amazon reported a $232.9 billion in revenue, which was up 31% from a year ago in 2017. So in 2018, this was the first time Amazon has reached the 200 billion threshold in annual sales. And so just a little business terminology. So revenue is the amount of income that a business generates through the sales of its goods or services, etc. Profit is, um, it considers both the income and expenses. So it subtracts these expenses when it considers how much profit they make. So in terms of profit, it has tripled in 2018. So it has a roughly a profit of $10 billion. And so Amazon's profits for the fall, the fourth quarter of 2018, it was a little bit higher than all of the profit of 2017 combined. So just for one quarter of last year was just about the 2017 profit range. But they haven't always made a profit. So I was reading this article that was posted April of 2018, and Amazon had really great first quarter 2018 numbers. But if you really look at the nitty gritty details of where the money is coming from, they are really, really losing money in the retail sector. So just do a little bit of math that I did not do. I read about this. So Amazon reported a $1.9 billion net income on $51 billion in revenue. And I believe this is for the first quarter of 2018. And so this is only a 3.7 profit margin. And it gets significantly worse when you separate out separate out AWS or so the Amazon Web Services, their cloud computing service from Prime and the retail side of their business. So if you were to take out AWS's numbers, the overall results that we are left with is 45.6 billion in revenue and only 500 million in earnings. And so the margins when you don't include the AWS shrinks to about 1%. And the retail of it is actually worse than that. So if you take away all of their other, like the smart home device, their, um, you know, their their um, TV streaming service, Amazon Music, Audible, whatever, you take all of that out, and you just look at Amazon Prime, which is the membership that you can get um, to get free two-day shipping, and you look at the ads that they promote on their e-commerce site, and you just look at the products that they're selling, the retail. Um, they, they don't really necessarily separate all of these segments out, so they, they put them all into one box. Um, but we know that for the Prime membership numbers, so Amazon has about 100 million Prime members. This is about an estimate. So um, if you think about 100 million Prime members and how much Prime costs per year, that's about 10 billion in sales a year just on the Prime subscription. That is roughly $2.5 billion a quarter. And so using this estimate, the overall business without AWS and without Prime, it has lost about $2 billion in the first quarter of 2018. And so Amazon is included... Um, 
not Amazon, the advertising is included in this as well. So the loss of um, the retail side of the business is, is is almost all from selling goods on Amazon.com. And that is what they're known most for. And so it's really, really interesting for the fact that the retail actually accounts for most of the revenue. So um, it accounts for about 60% of the revenue of Amazon as a total company. So um, just so just the fact that this is where most of the money is coming from. But in terms of the expenses and, and when you're thinking about profit, um, they're not really making great profit margins from their retail and so you, if you, if if Amazon was just an e-commerce platform, sixty um, percent of their business is losing money, and so this is not only dangerous for, I suppose, Amazon in terms of um, of a company. I mean, they have plenty of other ventures where they're making money, but this is really, really harmful for the retail sector in general. So the only way for other companies like Walmart or Target or any anybody else, eBay, whatever, anybody else that's selling retail, they also have to lower their prices enough to compete with Amazon because that is the thing about Amazon that is a very... Um, snaky but very clever business strategy is the fact that they have so many other ventures especially AWS where they're making the majority of their profit um they are able to make their prices on their retail products extremely low. They are uh, um, able to have very low profit margins on them. And so the, and so in terms of just supply and demand and where the customers are going to go, they are going to go to the cheapest option. So Walmart and Target, JCPenney's, etc., they must also be willing to lose money in order to compete with Amazon. And so... Their strategy is to make prices extremely low, extremely low to the point of no profit, take customers away from other retailers, especially small ones, small ones that cannot afford to have such low profit margins. Um, and that is, that's not even it, honestly. There, there's so much more to unpack here because not only are they doing that with different retail products, different suppliers of different variety of everything products. Um, they also make their own products and versions of popular products for cheap. So this is similar to the Kroger brand or Publix brand or a great value Walmart brand. So basically Amazon is doing the same thing. So they're, they're not necessarily doing anything different, but because they, it's, it's, I guess, digital and on the internet, they, they're able to do more with their, um, I guess, Amazon branded products. And so of October of 2018, they um, were experimenting in promoting their own products. So toilet paper or electronic toothbrushes, etc. They were putting their brand in the in the similar items for um, so basically, if you were to look at a toilet paper brand like Charmin, um, underneath that, you would see the Amazon toilet paper as a similar item to this particular Charmin brand. And 
oftentimes it'd be cheaper than that. And so people tend to gravitate more towards the Amazon created products. Um, and I, I can't really, like I, like I said, other other big retailers do this as well. So it it's not nothing, it's not anything new. But the fact that you're able to, when, when you when you're trying to buy an, a specific brand and you see another brand that is cheaper and the same thing in the same web browser it is a bit more enticing than seeing it on a shelf in my opinion um when you click on the link for the similar items. Um, it's not an advertisement. It takes you to the product page for Amazon's own private label um, store. So when you see an item that you're like, oh, Amazon brand, you click on it and it takes you to its whole different sector of products that are just made by Amazon. <sighs> Long-winded way to say that um Amazon is very, very clever in terms of its different ventures and business strategies. And this is sort of completely off topic, but I found it really, really interesting is the fact that Amazon paid no federal income tax in 2018. They actually got a tax refund of $129 million. And so what is, what is its tax rate? So it was at 11.4% from 2011 to 2016 and that was apparently deemed as too high so they ended up getting a tax refund back um this year um so yeah uh, <laughs> so that means that their 2018 income tax was a negative one percent that is a negative tax rate and this is i guess a bit too political. I don't like to get too political on this podcast, but I guess that their their reasoning is the whole trickle down economy, where even though they don't pay a lot in taxes, they've put 200 billion in investments since 2011 and about 300k into U.S. jobs. But while that sounds extremely pretty and noble, they also put a lot of money into lobbying. And so while they have not paid any federal taxes, it still pays a lot of money to the government in terms of political lobbying. And so um, they've reached more than 14 million in 2018, which was a record high for a company. And you know what their top lobbying priority is, is taxes. And this is according to Fox Business, so I'm not sure how accurate that is. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if um, that if that um, is their main priority. I don't necessarily think that they're putting it into the <laughs> environmentalists or whatever. Um, they they people lobby to benefit themselves, and so it makes sense. And it also makes sense that the money that they're putting into lobbying really um, helps not only them, but other big businesses that are being taxed less than are the average worker. And so the average person is taxed about 28%, 30%, um, and they have to pay that much in taxes. And so it's it's pretty ludicrous that that, that Amazon pays a lower tax rate than firefighters and teachers. Um, 
I digress. This is completely off topic from what I am talking about, which is the controversial nature of Amazon and the really the complex world of the internet and the digital age that we live in. And so because Amazon has grown so exponentially in the last few years, it has become one of the most exclusive e-commerce platforms. If you are not on Amazon, it is it is really, really hard for you to reach consumers. And this is really, really, um, I guess, evident in the um, book, book, um, book retail sector in terms of um, being able to access readers, right? So a lot of the brick and mortar bookstores like Hastings or Books a Million, etc. A lot of them, Barnes and Noble, etc. A lot of them don't necessarily really exist anymore, or they've 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 closed a lot of stores. And so, for me personally, I mean, the, literally, I think every book that I have really bought in the past couple of years have come from Amazon. And the issue is because the the ability to become a retailer and to sell on Amazon because the bar is so low everyone can necess- everyone can really do it and this is causing a problem in terms of selling counterfeit items counterfeit books fake books that are not necessarily published by the publisher and this can be extremely dangerous and and what i learned from a new york times article that was written last sunday which is the whole reason why i'm doing a whole episode on amazon And so the New York Times released an article called What Happens After Amazon's Domination is Complete? Its Bookstore Offers Clues. And so they note this really, really interesting example, which is a um, it's a doctor book. It's a medical book. It's called Sanford's Guide to Antimicrobial Therapy. And so it is a medical handbook that recommends the right amount of drugs. So for example, they recommend the right amount of dosage of how to treat bacterial pneumonia or infecting wounds, stuff like that. I mean, lives depend on it. And Scott Kelly, the publisher's vice president, he has been dealing with the onslaught of counterfeits of this handbook. Many of them that are printed really poorly or are photocopied to the point where they're hard to read. You can't see the text. And when it comes to a medical handbook like this, where numbers are very important, the notion of counterfeits on Amazon is really alarming. He bought... 34 handbooks from Amazon and Amazon's third-party sellers, and at least 30 of them were counterfeits. And these counterfeits have errors that can lead to injury and death for pa- for patients. And when Scott Kelly complained, he got a response two weeks later from a member of the Amazon seller performance team who said that the unnamed third-party seller was barred from selling the book. But this third-party seller can now appeal directly to, I guess, Amazon's management team or whatever. And if Scott or his publishing company wanted to retract his whole complaint, 
here were the steps on how to do so. And so they didn't really help him with his problem. And because of the dominance of Amazon, he had no choice but to open up his own vendor site on Amazon. And so he opened it up in December and he got a commission of about 20% for each of the copies sold. And under this contract, Amazon would tell um, this Scott and his publishing company where the customer lived, and then they themselves shipped the book out to them from their own book factory making place um, in Sperryville. And so now that they're getting ready to release their 2019 guide, um, they are integrating themselves even deeper with Amazon. And so in a statement, they said to eliminate the possibility of Amazon facilitating the sale of a counterfeit books, we would like to offer Amazon the opportunity to serve as a wholesaler of our titles, cutting out the middleman. And so in an essence, they rewarded Amazon by surrendering to their hold on the book um, e-commerce industry, the book selling industry. And he said, Scott, in the final little statement in the article, he said, we'd rather not be on Amazon, but we felt like we didn't have a choice. And I think that is the danger of the these monopolies that are being created, not only for Amazon, but for other platforms as well. So I'll get into this a little bit later, but Facebook is having a sincere problem in terms of moderating their content. And I think this a notion kind of lends the whole idea of the fact that the internet and its blossoming has really grown tremendously in the last few years. And the fact that there is so much content being produced, there are so many quote unquote shops being opened on Amazon's that there is really, really there. Everyone is having a really hard time of regulating not only products being sold, but content that is being distributed on social media platforms. And so you can't, on one hand, it's really hard to, um, I mean, of course, Amazon, there's a lot to blame for Amazon and their hands-off approach, but the, the, the task is just so astronomical. It's really hard to wrap your head around all the products that are being sold and and at the end of the day they, they want to make money and so it doesn't really matter to them if a product is counterfeit or real as long as there's a sale amazon's happy i wouldn't I mean, you know they probably wouldn't say that in, in a in, you know a public public statement but it is it's kind of true um what advantage do they have on spending millions and billions of dollars on checking the authenticity and the quality of what the the platform sells um and so this this sort of notion has kind of resulted in a a wild wild west lawlessness and the scope of counterfeiting um it uh, on amazon it, it goes far beyond books and so in 2007 the u.s customs and border protection and the u.s immigration and customs enforcement they recorded 13,657 seizures of goods that violated intellectual property rights and that was in 2007 right 13 about 13,000 
last year, they recorded 34,143 seizures. And so the courts are having trouble of finding Amazon liable for selling these counterfeit products because the company has been able to argue that it is a platform for sellers rather than a seller itself, which is technically true. I mean, they do have their own Amazon branded content, but other than that, they are just an e-commerce platform. And so there is this whole catch-22 of the fact that the increase of counterfeit goods has surged because of Amazon, but yet they are not to blame because as they say, they are only a platform. And so Amazon has said, through a spokesperson that it invests substantial resources into preventing counterfeit products from being sold on site. It has a team available 24-7 to take action on reported violations. And it has invested in machine learning and automated systems to detect copyright violations. And this whole idea of artificial intelligence and machine learning is can be a whole podcast episode in itself and I will mention a a few other examples of how machine learning has not yet evolved to the point where Amazon can regulate um, instantaneously to keep up with its surge of sellers etc but anyway let me give you a couple more e-commerce examples of counterfeit goods on Amazon so um, David Rifkin, David Rifkin, he sells 2,600 items on Amazon through his company MPO Global, and he's been selling on Amazon for almost probably like 15 years and he has said that this counterfeiting problem has gotten worse that the problems of knockoffs come up at least once a week and so one of the products that he sells which is my critter catcher (laughs) it's a device that traps bugs and it looks like a pole attached to a plastic gun so this is patented in the united states and globally but the company has seen identical products pop up on amazon selling for a dollar less than my critter catcher And so when he submitted a complaint to Amazon, he received a reply a week later asking him that to basically work out the, uh, I guess, the copyright infringement with the owner of the offending product and that to resolve the dispute between them and Amazon was going to basically have no part in um, handling this affair. And so two weeks later, uh, the reporter of this article, he sent an email to Amazon asking about David's allegations and Amazon did not respond to the specific question, but the offending listing was taken down that afternoon. And so David said that Amazon couldn't disclose why it was removed or what actions were taken against the seller, but it seems there is a correlation between the um, the pestering of the press and Amazon's, I guess, decision to to take course in action. Because when it when when it was the seller of the medical handbook, um, and he complained, they didn't necessarily do anything. But when they have the media's eye on a situation, it seems that they 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 can easily take action, and it's just a bit phony and fake, right? So they preach this whole idea of 
being virtuous, of really striving against counterfeit products. But when it comes down to the action and the nitty gritty, it seems that they're only really reacting when you pester and probe them and and make a scene. And that's just not necessarily how things should be done. But it is really, really hard to... Because Amazon has a big weight on their shoulders, right? So it's really, really hard for them to 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 be as big of a business they as they um, as they are, and to really regulate that business. And so David and the critter catchers are not the only example of counterfeiting. There are a plethora of examples, but here's just one more. So Helene. Helena, Helena Steele, she founded a kitchen apparel company called Jesse Steele in 2002. And she said that the counterfeits on Amazon was driving her out of business. So she started selling on Amazon in 2009 and 2010. But 2014, she stopped selling the products because there was just too much counterfeits and she couldn't really compete. But if you log on to Amazon today, which I think this article was written maybe last year or so, there are still dozens of Jesse Steele products available, but not directly from her. And so I actually got on Amazon today and searched Jesse Steele, and it seems that she's back on Amazon because her iconic apron is apron 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 is being sold on Amazon directly from Jesse Steele so you can tell when it's directly from a certain company when I guess the name of the company is basically what the person that's selling it etc well, I digress anyway and so she basically it's 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 crazy for her situation because she is so meticulous when it comes to her inventory and she requires third-party sellers to sign documents saying that they won't sell her products on Amazon but yet her products are still for sale on there and um, it says that it's shipped from and sold by amazon.com and so while you can't necessarily I guess I guess there is sort of a sympathy towards Amazon when it comes to counterfeit products in the fact that they have so many retails that it's hard to regulate but the fact that they say that it's being shipped and sold by them and yet they're not liable whatsoever for these counterfeit goods it seems a bit wrong and so she said that sales have gone from 5 million a year to around 500,000 a year a year because of the competition because of the counterfeits and she said basically that Amazon has brought her down, brought us down to our knees. It has just financially gutted us. And so I'm guessing that's why she's probably now, I guess, back on Amazon because that what alternative do you have? You have no alternative. There is nothing else like Amazon when it comes to e-commerce selling. And so while big companies such as Apple or something can really, really, they, they can have a whole team devoted to fighting and, and catching these counterfeit people, which seems to be what um, I guess Amazon is proposing people do, is that if you see someone counterfeiting, it is your responsibility to find them and chase them. But for small businesses, this is just not possible. And so Hel Helena, she said to this reporter that the mere act of sending a cease and desist letter um, for violating a brand, it costs $2,000. And if you think of just the multitude of different companies violating her copyright patents or whatever, 
whatever. Just sending one is $2,000. And the fact that she's making $500,000 a year, $2,000 is a lot for her. She just doesn't have the money to fight this fight. And she is worried that people and the consumers and their love of the simplicity and the easiness of Amazon, of buying things on Amazon, is going to lead to the disappearance of small businesses like hers that cannot afford to fight these counterfeiters. But on the other side, just to play devil's advocate, what other platform offers what Amazon can offer? It, it offers such a low threshold for people to enter it that it really does help small businesses in a certain way. So one, just one final example, one final book example. Um, this man, his name was Jamie Landino. Um, he's 45 and he wrote a book called Breakout. And it was about Atari machines of the 1980s and how that ushered a new era of gaming. He self-published it two years ago through Amazon which charged him nothing up front and just took a commission off of his uh, uh, just uh, his paperbacks, which was 1,223 paperbacks that were bought by devoted Atari fans. And so because he didn't have to go through a publisher, he didn't have to take all those extra steps that normally in the whole history of book making that you would have to do, he didn't have to take those. He could do it by himself. But the issue is that he got not just counterfeited, he straight up got his identity stolen and his whole idea of the book stolen word for word. And so this writer named Steve S. Thomas, who is it's probably an alias name because he has done this to other authors as well, he took his um, Mr. Landino's book a year ago and remade it as his own. He got rid of the title Breakout and converted the subtitle How Atari 8-Bit Computers Defined a Generation into the title. So that was the new title for his quote-unquote book. He put on a new cover and used his name, but he kept every single word of it. And he also kept even... Um, even um, Mr. Landino's Jamie's bio about him being an editor for ExtremeTech.com, writing for PC Magazine and Popular Science. And it wasn't until a another person who read the first book, so Kevin Savetes, he, he, he noticed um, Steve's copied book and he ordered it. And he said, mm, this title seems a bit familiar. And when he looked inside, he realized that it was the exact same book and he tweeted Jamie um, saying that you know you just got stolen from and he was really surprised about someone stealing from him and his this it gets even weirder man so like um mr lindino's i keep on saying mr lindino because that's what the article said but yes so jamie's wife allison she was looking on amazon and she's just happened to see a 152 page biography about her husband and she ordered a copy of the biography. She she brought him over. It's like, I think they know something about you that I don't. For one, it is strange that there's a biography about him because he never got interviewed. Then he never, you know, told his story to a writer and they wrote the biography and published it. No, instead, it was done by two, I guess, unknown entrepreneurs who had a basic understanding of artificial intelligence programming. And they basically took information and material from the Internet and created this biography. She has still yet to receive it. Um, I don't know if if they got shut down or what, 
But Jamie Lindino has no grudges against Amazon because he said that it was truly amazing that I could publish a book without walking into a lot of bookstores and asking them to carry it or printing a lot of inventory and having to run online web sales myself. It was an easy, nice way for him to get into it. And he got into it and sold some copies of his book. And so that is sort of, I guess, the beauty, not only of Amazon, but of the internet itself, of being able to grassroots start something yourself, to be a creator, an artistic creator yourself, to publish your music cover on YouTube and make your own songs without having to go through a record label, of being a filmmaker on YouTube and not having to answer to a studio. You can do everything everything by yourself these days. But the issue is that the fact that there are such limited, I guess, platforms out there that have the consumer base, YouTube, Amazon, whatever, Facebook, Instagram, they all have a monopoly in terms of, I guess, content creation and e-commerce. There are only a few platforms out there for people to get their products seen um there i mean of course there's always small startups starting every day but just the fact that they have the most eyes the most the, the highest amount of consumers on their platform it just makes sense to go to them and if there are counterfeiters if amazon doesn't necessarily help you with their problems people don't necessarily have a choice it th- there is no alternative and i think that is the danger of where the internet is headed In fact, in February of this year, Amazon has finally included counterfeiting in its financial disclosure as a risk factor for the first time, uh, saying it might not be able to prevent its merchants from selling, quote unquote, unlawful, counterfeit, pirated or stolen goods or selling goods in an unlawful or unethical matter manner. Um, but they also introduced a plan called Project Zero, where they would no longer um, have brands if there is a counterfeit of their brand. They no longer have to report it and wait for the retail to investigate. With Project Zero, they said that brands would be given the unprecedented ability to directly control and remove listings. That being said, I mean, it's still at the end of the day putting um, the responsibility on the actual seller. And so if you can just imagine um, a company such as Jesse Steele or the owners of the Critter Catchers and the sheer amount of people copying their products and the fine line between whether or not they owned the idea of a bug catcher shaped like a gun or with an apron with cherries on it it's really going to still be difficult for them to handle all these counterfeiters and so there's just this huge issue now on the, i guess the day and age the digital age the age of the internet of how to regulate all of this slew of content Which kind of brings me into my next topic that I want to quickly touch on that is sort of related to this, sort of not, and that is Facebook and its 
I guess, trouble with regulating their own content. And so Facebook has gotten into a lot of legal heat lately, not only the misuse of its users' privacy and data, but also in terms of the content that is being published on Facebook. A lot of it very controversial, a lot of it not necessarily true, a lot of it clickbaity and fake news, etc. And so they have announced that they have increased the number of moderators for their site, that people are going to be reviewing the content that is going on Facebook and they're going to be trying really, really hard to get rid of false statements and to get rid of highly graphic content, etc. And while this seems really noble and great, it is not necessarily being put into practice like you think. And so The Verge did a video on the, I guess, traumatic lives of Facebook moderators. And I just watched this video today, actually, and it was really, really interesting. And it really goes into, I guess, the practice of moderation. And while it sounds great on paper, what these moderators are actually doing is... <laughs> Not really much. And so Facebook hires another company um, to, I guess, outsource their moderators. And these moderators are paid about $15 an hour. And when they went into the company, they were thinking that, you know, they would be moderating businesses and reviewing their profiles and their statements to see if they're true or to see if they follow Facebook's policies and guidelines. But what they are actually doing is basically sitting in but with their headphones on at a computer watching extremely extremely violent and graphic content that I don't necessarily really want to go into but I will leave a link to the video um, for my patreons I haven't really been doing the reference links um I, I need to do a couple catch-up ones but I will definitely post it for you guys if you really really want to hear about it, it just hearing about all of the things that they watch, it is a lot of these employees, they, they interviewed three, but the one guy that really struck me, it was the fact that he went, to, he actually had to go to a mental health um, uh, professional who diagnosed him with PTSD from this job. And he has to take Xanax and other medications to help him sleep because of the night terrors he would have over watching these videos. Um, a lot of them were animal abuse videos. Some of them um, people were being abused, etc. And this stuff is on Facebook. And his helplessness in the fact that he has to watch the, these videos over and over again, and because Facebook's policies and guidelines change so much, a lot of the content that he he flags, it kind of still stays on Facebook. And that is just the horrific and scary part of it is the fact that yes, on paper, they've increased the number of their moderators, but the fact still remains that the content is, there's just so much content on Facebook that it is just extremely, extremely hard to regulate. And this, and, and the thing about Facebook moderators is the fact that they are judged on a criteria of, I guess, receiving a 98 percentile of how accurate they judge content based on Facebook's current policies and guidelines, right? So they, they have to watch over 300, maybe even 500 videos a day, and they have to flag them whether or not they think it should be on Facebook or off Facebook. And so the percentage amount of the videos that they say um, has to be aligned with 
Facebook. And a lot of, uh, I guess, from these, just this small glimpse from these three people that were interviewed is the fact that the, the 98 percentile is extremely hard to reach. A lot of people within working at their particular branch only maybe got like an 80 percentile. And this is really driven forceful, like forcefully into the mentality of these workers is the fact that they have to be aligned with Facebook. But it's hard because the guidelines are always changing. And the working environments for these moderators are atrocious. The fact that they only get a, what, two 15-minute breaks, 30-minute lunch break, and a quote-unquote nine-minute wellness break where they are, they, they also, they have counselors on staff to be able to help and guide these people who are watching these traumatic videos and having to decide whether or not it's graphic enough to remain or not remain on Facebook. They only have nine minutes to do so. And so that is that is atrociously not enough time to really, really dive deep into the, the moral dilemmas of being a Facebook moderator. And, and the working conditions are also not great either. Um, someone described it as sort of a sweatshop. Uh, environment in the United States. The desks are dirty. People were peeing on the floor and rubbing feces in the bathroom. There is only one bathroom uh, for 800 employees. I mean, it is just insane. These companies are the gatekeepers in terms of what goes on our internet platforms. I think we are in the wild, wild west phase of the internet and companies like Amazon and Facebook are having a really, really hard time moderating their content, whether it be making sure that their sellers are not selling counterfeit goods or whether it be making sure that the things that people are posting on their platform is not misinformation or obscene content. And I think that machine learning and artificial intelligence, while it sounds very enticing, it is not advanced enough to really handle all of the complexities of counterfeit products and misinformation. And so we are relying now on moderators. And this really reminds me of back in the day where telephones used to be there used to be telephone operators that had to manually put you and connect you to different lines we're sort of in that stage of the internet and i am hopeful i am hopeful that artificial intelligence and machine learning is going to keep on advancing and that we are going to be able to automate this process because i think the system that we have in place right now is not working. That being said, I'm not going to boycott Amazon or Facebook or Instagram. In fact, Amazon is having an Amazon Prime Day sale on July 15th, which is basically their Black Friday sale. And I have been following the news about it religiously because I want to buy some new electronics. And that's going to be my only window to buy something um, for a reasonable-ish price. And yeah, so uh, I guess in terms of let's do a quick media obsessions, I really just have like one, two main ones, I guess. So one, The Amazing Race, they had their finale yesterday and um, yeah, Tyler and Corey, the team that I have been literally the only reason why I've been watching Amazing Race, they made it to the final three and they got second place. Oh my gosh, it was, it was complete. It was such a good, 
good episode like the last episode the final three it was between Tyler and Corey and Colin and Chrissy and then the Afghanimals, but they they messed up on the first challenge. And so it was literally just them two going head to head. And the last challenge was basically they had to build a drum set with seven nation armies playing in the background super loudly. And like they were both like missing just one component of the, because they had it perfectly right. And Colin and Chrissy just got it there faster. And they literally it was within like five minutes is what the editing looked like. But yeah, I am really proud of them for making it to second place, honestly. And I'm proud of Colin and Chrissy as well. Like, honestly, they have such a triumph story as well because they were old, really, really back in the day, Amazing Race contestants. And when the first time they're on the race, they were, I guess, a bit uh, dramatic. Like, like, uh, Colin would yell a lot and he was just known to get frustrated really easily. And the second time that they came on the show for this um, reality show, showdown they were so calm and cool and collected and all about you know staying present and staying in the moment and really manifesting their wins and it was honestly it was I'm, I'm happy they won and I'm happy Tyler and Corey made it to the final finale because that's literally the only reason why I watched um and then I guess the second thing that I'm really really I guess sort of into is holy moly um uh, my friend Holly Fine she was on the first episode and she actually won the first episode it was crazy um I kind of describe it as mini golf but the ninja warrior version so it's basically really really crazy mini golfs um sets or holes or whatever and you got to get through them you have to get through different rounds and then there's like a final three or something and they all putt and yeah that was a nail biter as well they had to do a putt off and that was that was so crazy um in terms of anything else I did watch murder mystery with one of my friends and it was it was pretty good it was an Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aston Aniston uh, movie. It was on Netflix, and surprisingly, I really, really enjoyed it. It was fun. It was light, and there were twists and turns, which is what I really like about TV shows if they have twists and turns. So, yeah. In terms of books, I just got Mamie Hart's second book. So her first book, You Deserve a Drink, was so good. It is a, I guess, memoir, a bunch of short stories about her life. She is laugh out loud funny. So I really had to get her second book, which is This Rounds on Me, I think is what it's called. But yeah, stories still hilariously funny. And also it's a bit deeper too, because she talks about how um, she just, I guess this was when she first in her 30s, she just ended a 10 year relationship. And so there is a lot more, I guess, realness when it comes to her stories and about dealing with heartbreak and love. And it's very, very relatable. So yeah um that's it for today's podcast uh as always you can stay after the outro song to hear me recite a poem but until then love y'all thanks for listening hope you have a daisyish day Hello, my poetry enthusiast field daisy. So today's poem is going to be about the state of the economy. It is literally what the poem is titled, since we're talking a lot about how Amazon pays no income tax and how there are people that have to be Facebook moderators that are paid $15 an hour 
to spend hours a day watching animal abuse and human abuse and the fact that sellers on Amazon, small businesses on Amazon cannot thrive because there are a plethora of counterfeit options that people are buying into and purchasing and they don't have the money to hire legal teams to send cease and desist letters. The state of our economy is quite fragile right now. And while there are many companies and many people making millions and billions of dollars, there are also a lot of people that are struggling to survive. That is kind of a big, usually I don't rant this much about, before I talk talk about a poem, but I figured this is kind of, it's fitting. So without further ado, let's recite the state of the economy. The State of the Economy by Lewis Jenkins There might be some change on top of the dresser at the back, and we should check the washer and the dryer. Check under the floor mats of the car, the couch cushions. I have some books and CDs I could sell, and there are a couple of big bags of aluminum cans in the basement. Only trouble is there isn't enough gas in the car to get around the block. I'm expecting a check sometime next week, which, if we are careful, will get us through to payday. In the meantime, with your $1 rebate check and a few coins, we have enough to walk to the store and buy a cart of milk and a newspaper. On second thought, forget the newspaper. <laughs>